Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Connection. I'm Ann Baldwin, and I am one of your hosts this morning. And I'm Lisa DeMattis-Lapore, CEO from The Connection. Good morning. we got two CEOs in the room, huh? That's us. Isn't that great? Isn't it fun being your own boss, man? Yes and no. Yes and no, exactly. <laughs> I know people ask me that all the time, and it's like, it's a lot of work, and it's uh, long hours, and it's a lot of long hours, changing hats every five seconds, but you know what? I'd... Self, a lot of self-reflection. Absolutely, but you know, I wouldn't want it any other way. I agree. I, it's just, you know, it's just the way it is, so. Do you feel that um, you always are, want, you know, evaluating yourself and what you're doing and never really feeling... There's always, I'm never really feeling settled. I'm always feeling like there's so much more to do, more to do. I mean, I think that's a good thing. I guess if you feel too comfortable, then you need to not do the job anymore. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of live in different worlds, right? I mean, you're in the nonprofit world, and, and, you know, I'm here. And with me, you know, because we do a lot of crisis communication, for me the challenge is changing my hat every five seconds, going from one issue to another issue to another issue. And yours, I can't even imagine the magnitude of the programs that you run over at The Connection. It's really amazing, but you're doing good work, and that's what we're talking about today. We've got Gail Eureka here, and when I asked Gail, I said, how do you spell your last name? Just like the vacuum. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I put a U instead of an E. That's okay. That's okay. It's radio, so it doesn't matter. So it's so great to have you here, Gail. Thanks Thank for you. being here. And Gail is the program director and of many programs, but today we're talking about the Roger Sherman House because you're celebrating your 30th 30 years. anniversary. Yeah. 30 wow, years. doesn't seem possible. So were you there, Lisa, when when the program began? I wasn't. You wasn't. It was under, you wasn't. I was under. You wasn't. You weren't. I were not. I was not there. Wow. <laughs> we got to watch our grammar today. We need a grammar. We grammar need more check. coffee, more Diet Coke. So tell us a little bit, Gail, about what is the, the Sherman House program, Roger Sherman House. Roger Sherman House, it started in 1988 when it first came to the agency. We started at 37 clients and then expanded in the 90s to 61 that it is today. So it is a residential work release program for male inmates coming out of the Department of Corrections. And the intention is they come and stay with us from three to four months in the hopes that they gain employment and have stable discharge when they leave and their sentence ends. So how it's one particular, tell me what it looks like. Is it a house? It's We're in a large building on House Street that our agency owns. We are occupy the second floor and part of the third floor. So it was the old YMCA um, in New Haven long ago. So we still have a lot of the architecture, the the grand ballroom is there. Oh, how cool. So that's part of the Roger Sherman house, facility. which is nice, and the old gymnasium. So a lot of clients who come in who've been in the area have stories from, you know, their family history of coming there to either use the pool or use the gym. Uh, so it's it's architecturally a beautiful place, and 
like I said, it fits 61, so we occupy the entire second floor, which is about 10,000 square feet, and then a portion of the third floor. So square footage is quite large. So it houses 61, Lisa. I'm assuming there's a lot more than 61 people coming out of the correction system on a regular basis. So oh, there's, yes, mm -hmm. thousands. So, so what have you seen? I mean, you've been with the connection for a long time. How have you seen the, the Roger Sherman program grow? It's growing in so many ways, not only the, as Gail talked about, the size of it grew, but the other thing, of course, that's always growing is trying to keep ahead of the times and provide the services that are so greatly needed for the ever-changing needs of the population, because as we know, population is not getting, quote-unquote, better. So the staff are dealing with, you know, the opioid crisis, and they're dealing with a lot of mental health and substance abuse, as they always did. But again, you know, um, the way that I can reflect back on the program um, is many years ago. I was in the mix, and when I was in a different position of doing chart audits, and that was my program that I used to audit the charts. And I would sit there and read the files and just be completely blown away by the level of, you know, generational cycles of abuse and neglect and really what these men went through, right? Um, it's amazing to me that any of them are even alive truthfully, because of their histories, very sad histories, and um, however, um, you know, they survive, and so what the staff try to do is turn turn those survival skills in a positive way and get them on their way to independence. Many of them actually have many talents and have had jobs prior and are very skilled, and, you know, they're working, and Gail will tell you about that, but I, I think that the the reason why the program works is because of Gail and the staff that work there that make it happen. It's a difficult pro. Can you imagine managing that no. amount of clients in and out on a daily basis? Busy. Um, it's extreme. It's insane is what it is. Can you imagine managing that? It, and typically in a residential program, you know, they talk about, well, what's the easy mix of, you know, how does it work? So, example, the women's programs that we have, you know, 8 to 10 is really when you talk about manageable so it's the staff there and they you know they're staffed but it's very difficult right and a knock on wood the program has not had really massive massive issues crises and that's because of the staff but it's i don't know how they i, don't, I mean i'm just amazed at the work absolutely so it's for males between the ages of 18 and up so what do you see there gail on a daily basis um you know and i gotta give you know, kudos to the Department of Corrections. So, you know, they're the people in charge of making sure these folks are taken care of when they're incarcerated. But the fact that it seems because they fund this program that they care about these individuals once they get out and get them back on track. So what do you see on a daily basis? What we typically see is, is most clients that are coming to the program are from the New Haven area. They are allowed to select out of six areas that they would like to come to a halfway house for. So they've selected New Haven. Most are from the area. So their main goal is to seek employment, to look for a job, obtain a job, get some savings so they could discharge. Some have a, discharge, a place to discharge to, some do not. If they have a discharge, a place to discharge to, it's a little bit easier. It's a matter of just timing of doing what they need to do. Department of Corrections likes them to leave with employment. So that would be their main goal. And how long can they stay at the Roger Sherman House? Ideally, three to four months. However, they're not allowed to leave until their sentence has ended or they've been approved for an early release package. So I've had um, clients up to a year 
some a little bit over. So it really varies based on when they arrive to the program and how much of their sentence they have left. Is there a barrier to employment? I know that we've done this show long enough, Lisa, to talk about um, the fact that I believe that more, more employers are looking at these individuals for their abilities, not for where, where they came from, but where they could be. Do you find that that's getting a little bit easier out there in society for these folks to find employment? I think it is. Our employment numbers are typically around the 60 to 75%, depending on how much turnover we have in the house. And turnover is just a matter of how many people are discharging and new people coming in. So that always affects our numbers. But we typically have a, a high number working. Like Lisa said, some come to us who've had previous employment and they're allowed to, they hook up back with their boss and they're able to start working again. Because New Haven is such a dense area of employment opportunities, they're lucky to have enough resources to obtain employment. I don't see, the only barriers are their willingness to find employment and want to work. Uh, and it will depend on the lifestyle they're coming from and what they've been used to. It's not easy to go out and live on $10.10 .10 an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's a big culture change for them of stable legal employment sometimes um, and adjusting to those different monetary um, paychecks. So the barrier is really what they want to do um, as far as how much they want to work and their motivation to work. But we don't typically have a lot um, struggles with finding places for them to work. So yeah, I, I, I mean, you can imagine easier. some of these individuals, I'm just, you know, assuming, go from making a lot of money maybe dealing drugs yes. to, you know, washing dishes or being a line chef for 10 bucks an hour. I yes. mean, that's, that's a bit of a reality check, you know. How do you how do you convince somebody to do that? And then and and also we have clients. I remember um, Gail, you could speak to this, who really had high paying jobs at yeah. one time, and because of addiction or other issues, ended up in jail. And you know it's difficult then to go back to that level of employment that they had. And here I was stereotyping, right? Here I am saying they're probably drug dealers, and now they're going to go back. I was just reading an article in the in the Hartford Current recently about a very wealthy, well-known, established dentist in West Hartford who was writing illegal prescriptions and is now incarcerated for several years, has lost everything, has lost his family, he's lost his practice, he's lost everything. And here's a, you know, a white-collar guy that fell to the demons of addiction. I mean, mm -hmm. if anybody can understand how that can happen, I can. So um, these aren't just drug dealers that are coming through your program, I'm assuming, Gail. Correct. We've had, um, in my time there, which has been about six and a half years, charges-wise, we've had everything from larceny six up to capital felony murder. Um, I've seen all the charges in between, all diverse backgrounds in between, different charges in between. So we've had white-collar um, gentlemen in that have a white-collar type crime, uh, very difficult to have that mindset changed because they're used to corporate world and they're not typically welcome back into the corporate world. So that diversion to other types of employment, being open to other types is a challenge. We've seen that. Um, but typically it's clients who've grown up in the area and this is their world. This is part of their world. Um, I've had sons, fathers, grandfathers all come through there. Generation. Um, brothers come through. Um, absolutely. Uh, we have another program that's similar called Sierra Center, which is also 60 beds. So they do the exact same thing, same funding, just on the fourth floor. So sometimes we'll get 
clients who have relatives on, in that program or at this juncture um, seeing uh, clients that I had when I first started are back again. Mm -hmm. So they've gone back in after they left and are back in the program and starting back up again. But what Lisa mentioned earlier too is what we're seeing a lot more of when Department of Corrections kind of moved away from a, a funding for a treatment model, we're seeing more clients with mental health diagnoses, more substance, higher substance use than ever before. So we're managing more of a diverse population in that respect. And that's part of the challenge, isn't it, Lisa, is the funding and really treating the problem. We've talked about that, whether yes. it's generational, whether it's addiction. You can't throw somebody in jail and then, you know, throw them in a place and then expect them to be out. And it sounds like a lot of these people are going back out into their old environment. And I know when I went through uh, my recovery from alcohol, I had to change people, places, and things. Yeah. Because that's, that's part important. of the trigger for you to go back. Exactly. And those are challenges. And I know, Gail, correct me if I'm wrong, what's the longest amount of time that um, you've seen a client come in that's been in prison? Uh, 32 years. Wow. He um, had gone in at 17 uh, for on two murder charges. It was gang related and came to us 32 years later. And really we had to take a different approach with him because he shook for three days. He was just not accustomed to free movement. We're, we are a locked facility, but they are not locked. They do not follow. We do not follow the jail regimen of, you know, only walking on the right side of the hallway. It's free movement. You can use the restroom facilities whenever you need to. You don't have to ask and, and permission to move. And it was such a big shock to his system, um, not to mention the buses and cell phones, and they don't use computers. Yeah, the so world changes, to, not only in 30 years, imagine. And he was a kid when he went in, so yes. we really had to take, we took our typical time frame for clients to come in, go through the things that we put them through assessments and just learning about the program and then being ready for what we call community access is seven days. We took a month with him, wow. and we did pre what we call pre-employment of really just learning some of the basics of introduction. So it's, we take for granted when clients come in that they're already at the same speed that we're at and they're not. Um, and I've had several that have come off of 25 year sentences. Um, and I have to say, and, and they're typically manslaughter or murder charges. So let's go back to the 30 year guy. Mm -hmm. So is he still there? What happened to him? No, he stayed with us and discharged successfully out onto parole. And the last, um, I knew cause I, he worked with one specific parole officer inside. He has moved to Florida, so he did uh, get away from, I would say, his environment, but he has been successfully discharged. So that there you go. I mean, proven results, and you, you measure these successes, and I'm not sure they're all, I'm sure they're not all successes, right? Correct. Because people, you know, go into their old bad habits. Are you ever, it sounds like, you know, people with murder convictions and drug addictions, is it ever scary? No. Not for me and staff. I think uh, we all have an awareness, but we don't, I don't ever feel afraid. Staff doesn't ever feel afraid. I think it's, it's considered a level one facility. So they have to be cleared several levels at DOC before they are eligible to come out. Um, and I don't ever feel afraid. I think that if clients get to a point where they feel they may do something, they just leave, escape, what we call mm -hmm. escape, and don't come back um, versus putting themselves in a situation. But I have never in the six and a half years felt afraid. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Gail Eureka. She's the program director of many programs, including the Roger Sherman House
um, celebrating their 30 years in New Haven. So, um, you know, out of all the programs that you have, Lisa, you know, where does this fit into the list of priorities and pride? Oh, it's it's high. We're <clears throat> extremely proud. I'm extremely extremely proud of the CJ programs and, you know, staff like Gail who fight the fight every day and really do great work and we're really we're very grateful for DOC and um CSSD for continuing to, you know, fund our programs and realize that, you know, we have a huge problem here in Connecticut and you know, they we have we run a lot of their programs and I'm going to um say that that's due to the success that the staff do and we do um and we have been for a long time been collecting data and doing research on our programs um to prove that they are positive results and their best practices and that folks are not reoffending and so we're continuing to look at that and I think it's been an ever moving program in the sense of we never keep things the same and we and we keep changing and I think that that's what you have to do to change what you know change with the times to change with the clients but where does this it's it's I mean it's one of our you know premier programs we've had success we haven't had you know luckily because of the staff you know we haven't had you know major crises which is is great and you know I you know I'm always amazed Gail um, when your staff call me about you know things going on and how calm they are and how committed they are and how they really enjoy working you know working with the guys and you know Gail has a great reputation at the connection and uh, working with funders and really making things happen but here's the other thing about success success is really also partnering with our funders and our community partners and our constituents um, to to fight the fight that all of us in Connecticut are with our population and so it's really a team effort you know you can't do this work alone and we don't and so that's really another way that you know we make these this a success but I'm excited about the 30-year anniversary and excited about you know Gail and the staff and the work that they're doing and we're, we're really proud of the program so thank you Gail. so what are you doing for your birthday we haven't really haven't we haven't we have to on. we haven't done anything come on yet. let's have a party let's let's bake a cake let's do something we have to do right something yeah we're that's a big to, one 30 years is, is a big one 30 years is big what's the neighborhood reaction been to having a facility like this you know in you know i remember from my news days i can't tell you how many stories i did from you know folks in ny nyby not in my backyard yeah, right yeah it's relatively quiet. I mean, we do um, abut to Yale University campus. So we are on the same street. They have housing on our street down uh, the other end towards um, Whaley Avenue. We're right on the corner of Chapel Street. We have not really, it's a pretty quiet environment. We've never had, in the years I've been there, an issue of any kind. We are a lock facility, so I think it's we have a lot of movement in and out during the day. But we're you know. Well, when you say down. you're a lock facility, explain that. So they can come and go during the day, but then you're locked down at night. Is that how it works? We're a lock facility all the time, so the doors you can't just randomly come into the building. You have to be buzzed in, announce yourself, and we have a buzzer for each program. So clients coming back buzz into the Roger Sherman house. They say their name. We buzz them in. So it's not open for anyone to just walk into the building. So right, but you, but they can leave the building. They can leave. They just can't. Um, people can't just come in and out freely. So they're, they're, it's not locked where they can, like you said, they can leave at any time, but getting in. So our program doors are all locked. Uh, the elevators are locked. So it's secured in that sense. And that's for both staff and client safety. What happens when you get a bunch of former inmates, men, mm -hmm. between the ages of 18 and higher, all in one place. Is that, does that work? Surprisingly, it does. Uh, or we probably would not still be 
happening. Right. But it does work a lot because they're from the area. They know each other. They've been in the same circles. And, you know, it ebbs and flows. I think the age group that we get, there's periods where we have a lot of 18 to 25-year-olds. That's a bit more challenging. Uh, their development uh, from a mindset is not quite ready yet to necessarily change. And <coughs> we have now a, a older age group right now in the program from 40s to 68. So we that's, you know, happening right now. But it does. They do get along. What we see is a lot of the older clients will mentor the younger clients. You know, I was just going to say that. You know, when I was in my rehab facility, um, I was one of the oldest people there. They called me mom. <laughs> Tells you how old I am. But you know, it was it was a uh, it was an it was a role that I appreciated because I, I became a nurturer right in that environment where I didn't want to be. And, and, you know, was fighting every step of the way for a while. But they're really, the re I saw the relationships as the mom of the house, right? I saw these different relationships form between people and people really helping it, each other out. We've talked about this before, too. I mean, if we all put our stuff in the middle of the table and we said, okay, you can take somebody else's stuff back or you can take your own, you'd take your own. So people in there probably get a better perspective on, you know, you think your life sucks, talk to this guy or, you know, get some advice from the guy who's been behind bars for 30 years and why it's important that you don't go back to that. You know, we all can learn from each other if we're just open to it, right? Correct. And they do. They say to the younger clients we hear often, you know, you don't want to be here at my age. Um, this isn't where you should be. And starting over at this age is more difficult, you know, than starting over at the younger ages. So we do see a wide range. It's I want to speak to a point Lisa made earlier with Department of Corrections. We've seen great changes over the six and a half years with their um, approach to working with the population as well. When I first started, it was very, very strict from the Department of Corrections. They had very, were very limited on where they can work, what type of work, how far out from New Haven they can get work, uh, what they could have in their possession. So it's grown over the years, and I think Scott Semple has been key to that, the new commissioner of recognizing giving them more opportunities and not being so quick to reincarcerate them when they you know make a mistake in our program so we're really work with them we're past second chances we're up to four and five chances anything to keep them in our program and keep them moving forward and there's a lot more i think opportunity and i, I know bob mcadams was here not so long ago mm -hmm. talking about employment so the vocational department has grown, which is, is amazing, and they really work with the clients, and they meet them where they're at. We're not forcing them to go down a road they're not ready to because, like I said, some come in, don't know what a computer is, and right. you have to be computer literate in this these days of employment. And also with, I think, our culinary program that was developed through the kitchen, if Bob has spoken about that. So it's giving in-house some opportunity as well for clients to learn. A lot of our clients also work with our property management, maintenance department, uh, skilled labor, doing the floors and just cleaning in the building and, you know, anything that we can help them keep adding to their resume of skill set. Right. And I know uh, my father was a longtime corrections officer in Enfield and uh, he worked out in the shop with inmates on repairing machinery, lawnmowers and things like that. And, you know, these guys got that skill set, you know, that kind of mechanic skill set, like if you were going to a trade school, so that, you know, thank goodness they're getting some tools there that they can go out and um, and utilize and, and further their lives, right? I mean, if, if, again, I just read in the newspaper that, you know, the trades are 
dying. You know, people aren't getting into trades anymore, whether it's a plumber, electrician, mechanic, all those kinds of things. So there's a real need for that. And that's good money. It is. You fix my lawnmower, man. I'm going to pay you a lot of money. It is. And we've (laughs) we've had um, a handful of clients over the years who have either been in the trade or gotten in a trade and working. I remember Bob working with one client diligently of trying to get him reinstated in the union for where he Mm -hmm. was working, the carpentry union. So we've definitely had a handful. And it is. It's employment for a life. And we encourage. We also have a, a large population of clients going to Gateway Community College. Great. Uh, Stone Academy, they've done that. And I said, anything you learn, whether it's cosmetology, hairdressing, you know, once you have that license, you you can do anything you want. You know, you've had that skill that you learned and they really can't take that away. So we've seen a lot over the years, um, you know, expanding out education-wise as well. Right. And if you want more information on the Roger Sherman House or any of the Connections programs, you can go to their website at theconnectioninc.com. Dot org. That's theconnectioninc.org. We've got just a few more minutes here. So why, wh- who's Roger Sherman? I want to know that. Who's it named after this program? So it's named after one of our country's leading founders. He was one of the only uh, founders to sign all four articles of creating our great country. He also was the first mayor of New Haven. And okay. he had earned an honorary master's from Yale. It was Yale College at the time. It was not a university. And there's several, um, the town of Sherman, Connecticut is named after him. Mm. Sherman Avenue, which I drive down to get to Roger Sherman House in New Haven, (laughs) is named after him. So he was a a lawyer. Uh, He did not go to law school, but he did just take the bar and pass the bar. This was back in the 1700s. So he was part of his... um, mission in, in politics and being the mayor was to fight injustice. So I think it's a testament to that the place is named Roger Sherman House and we're, we're there to help um, clients reintegrate back into the community from the correctional system. That's great. Are, is there a need out there, Lisa, for more programs like this? Yes. I mean, what's your waiting list? I, I, I got to assume. What would you say? You have 41 beds? We have 61, 61 beds, beds, but they're with the Department of Corrections for Community Release. Their wait list is a little over 400. So in the New Haven area, there is um, about 190 work, what we call work release beds. So we have uh, 121, and then there's another program with another agency who does what we do kind of down the road called Walter Brooks, and they have. But everybody's beds. full. Everybody's full. You know, and therein lies, you know, I think part of the issue is that we've got to open up more of these programs because if we don't, where do these people end up? Right back where they came from, right? Exactly. So, and it's even with rehab facilities, you know, you you want the help, but you can't get a bed. You know, those are the challenges. Or, and you know, and sometimes you're in such a state that it's hard to go and fight and look on your own. You need an advocate for that. And that's what you guys do is... Find the right program that fits for these individuals and try to get them back on track. Gail and I now are really big supporters of residential treatment mm-hmm. programs. That's where my history came to, and you really have to passion a lot of passion to do this work because it's very demanding. But we see such results in our residential programs, so we're uh, you know we're both I think huge advocates yes, of residential absolutely. treatment. Great. Well, you, you live it every day, and every day. I you know, and I salute you for that and your entire staff. I know it probably. I have it's amazing not, staff. You have amazing staff and, and, you know, proven results, and I'm sure it's not an easy job. I can't imagine getting up off the pillow every morning and 
knowing that's what you're doing. But when you yeah. believe in it and you see the results and you're committed to it, it makes things a little bit easier. Well, thank, thank, thank you. you. This Gail. conversation went by so quickly. Thank Again, you. the website is theconnectioninc.org. And uh, Gail Eureka is the program manager at the Roger Sherman House in New Haven. And I like to say to people, not good luck continued success. success. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.